Today we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. If you want to open your Bible app or your Bible to read along with me, we're focusing on the parable in verses 6 through 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put some manure on it. And if, if it bears fruit next year, well, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Let us hear what the Holy Spirit has to say on this day. Well, last week, you probably remember that Pastor Heather told you about her dad's garden, and so this week I thought I would tell you about mine. My dad has been gardening the same patch of ground for over four decades, which we realized by counting up when we started it and how old I am. Uh, but as you can see from the picture, it is a beautiful garden. I grew up my whole life eating produce from this garden, onions and lettuce and cucumbers and potatoes and green beans and beets and tomatoes and okra and squash and the most anticipated vegetable at all, of all, sweet corn on the 4th of July. Amen? Oh my goodness, that is the climax of the gardening year when you get to have your first sweet corn. And my dad has one of the most beautiful vegetable gardens I have ever seen. But I'll tell you what, the garden doesn't look that beautiful right now. Because this is the time of year when you ready the land. And you buy the seed and you clear the place where you're going to plant in just a few short weeks. I talked to my dad recently and I asked him, what's happening in the garden right now? And I thought you might want to hear how it goes in a garden. Kind of what's going on in the garden at this stage? It's just bare, bare soil. The chickens are still on there. And uh, this, is, this is the last part of February. I usually try to start planting something about the first part of March. But depending on how wet it is, if it's too wet, you have to wait for it to kind of dry up a little bit. So what are the things you're thinking about planting? Because, I mean, that's just a couple of weeks away. Yeah, I'll, I'll plant some onions and uh, potatoes again. Then I've got uh, some kale, that I've, kale that I've, seed that I bought, uh, lettuce, but mostly for the chickens. So tell me, when you, when you clear the garden, you know, and you're finished with it in the fall, tell me how you clear it. I just take, I just get in there with my lawnmower and chop everything up. Okay. Any, anything that's left standing, any old vines, and and then and that's all I do. Now some some guys like to go ahead and till it again in the fall, but I don't do that because I want I want the chickens to scratch through all that plant stuff that's been chopped up. Do you let the chickens out on the garden then during the winter time? Yeah. About October, 
November what do you think somewhere. Chickens there. do for the garden. No, they fertilize it mostly. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> then I get what they do in the chicken house and spread that on the garden. Can you tell that that helps the the garden over the year? Oh yeah. In the summer. Uh, almost everybody knows chicken manure is that's some of the best fertilizer you can get. Oh my goodness. I love visiting with my dad, uh, but for him to be on Zoom is grateful uh, for his gift to us. Not know that chicken manure was some of the best you can get, but I do know that now. I do know that now. Well, we are in the parable of the fig tree. You heard Pastor Heather read that from Luke's gospel. And if you hear nothing else that I say to you today about this parable, I want you to know that Jesus telling this parable represents a tremendous amount of grace. And that, friends, for us, that is good news. And so if there's nothing else you hear in this sermon, know this good news that there is always grace. Because think about it. Jesus tells us explicitly that the tree does not bear fruit, but you also infer that it's taking up space, which means that nothing else that would produce fruit can grow there. But there is more to this parable than is immediately obvious. Just like you might tell yourself that an argument with a friend came up out of nowhere. Huh, I don't know where that came from. And then you start to reflect, right? And you go, uh, oh, yeah, okay. And maybe there was something leading up to it. So to feel the full impact of this parable, we also have to pay attention to what leads up to it. If you have your Bibles or you're looking with me in the scripture, I want to encourage you to go back a chapter to chapter 12 and just kind of skim down through that particular chapter. And you're going to feel this urgency developing in what Jesus is telling his disciples. In fact, in, in chapter 12, he talks a lot about the end times. These are some of the phrases that you'll pick up as you read through chapter 12. Darkness being revealed by the light. Being denied in front of the angels of God. One's life being demanded on the spur of the moment. Being dressed for action. Having your lamps lit. And finally, towards the end, Jesus says this, I came to bring fire to the earth. I don't know what you call that, but I call it fire and brimstone, right? That's, that's how Jesus is sort of leading them to this sense of urgency. Can you feel it? He wants them to know there's not much time left, and they have to get it right. And getting it right, according to Jesus, is about being able to read the signs of the times. In fact, in chapter 12, verses 54, 55, and 56, this is what it says. He, being Jesus, said also to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. And I want to pause right there, because many of us live here in Oklahoma and have for quite some time, and you know what it feels like when you step outside and it's very heavy. You know, I'm talking about humidity's just sort of hanging in the air, and you look up to the sky and you see those billows dropping beneath the storm clouds. You might even notice that the dark indigo color sort of shifts to green. Have you seen it? Now, if you're here in Oklahoma, and you've been here for any length of time, when that happens, friends, you know. You can read the signs of the times, can't you? It means turn on the TV, <laughs> 
or get your phone out and start streaming channel six or eight or two or whatever, you know, because something is coming. Turn on your weather alert radio. Make sure you've got your hidey hole ready. Whatever it is, you know. So, so Jesus is reminding them they know. They know something is coming. Now notice what he says. You hypocrites, right? You know that, but you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why can you step outside and see it in the clouds? But when it's happening all around you, why do you not see it then? This is such an important question, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Well, the disciples that are there, they've felt the urgency, and they want to make sure they get the right answer to this question. I mean, they feel like there's a lot riding on it. So as you enter into chapter 13, what you will see is they, they obviously have asked Jesus, well, is it like the Galileans that Pilate murdered? Which seems kind of weird, but of course for them, that would have been a common experience talked about a lot. Or like those who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Again, kind of a common knowledge that everyone would have had. And, and they're sort of inferring to Jesus, man, they must have messed up bad before the end of the age to have died right then and there and not even be able to make it to the place you're talking about, Jesus, right? And, and in the way Jesus responds to them in the beginning of chapter 13, you get the feeling that he's like, mm, no, <laughs> no, not quite. And, and Jesus, of course, as he does so often, realizes that after the explaining and trying to open this uh, experience of urgency to them, that they still missed it. And what he wants them to know, friends, is that meaning is not found in how you die, but in how you live. You see, life wasn't worth much in the Roman Empire. For the vast majority of folk, I mean, like 90% of them, they could really die at any moment for a variety of reasons. Uh, disease was prevalent. Violence was a way of keeping the peace. Interesting, right? Um, women died in childbirth a lot. I mean, there was just a lot of reasons why you might die. So it wasn't odd that, that people would have died or even been murdered. And that reality of life not being worth a whole lot led to futility. Maybe you've Notice that when the number of people who have died reached over 500,000, and it's beyond our comprehension. And, and we, too, kind of feel that futility of what difference does it make? When life is expendable, when life loses meaning, then it is up to death to provide it. And that leads to this sense of urgency that we feel in Luke chapter 12 and to the questions that the disciples have obviously asked Jesus at the beginning of chapter 13 as if the end of time is fast approaching. Be ready. Get it right. Powered by this urgency, surely the disciples would grasp for meaning in these otherwise senseless deaths. Murders by a powerful leader, a tragic accident, and Jesus pauses here to, to redirect them, friends, and to remind them that meaning isn't found in how you die, but in how you live. That's the good news. 
So the urgency that he wants them to feel is not in getting ready to die, but in knowing how to live well. That would be what we would call a call to repentance, to turn away from all that gets in the way of growth toward whatever promotes growth. Now, the word repentance is sometimes mixed up with the word penitence or penance, like as if there's something that we have to do in order to make ourselves right with God. But repentance, the word actually means to turn around. That's all it means. The assumption, of course, is that our travel is away from what God would have us be and do, and we need to turn around and walk then back toward God and what God would have for us to be and do. Repentance in this particular situation is to turn away from all that gets in the way of growth toward whatever is going to produce growth. Repentance is a call that Jesus issues again and again and again throughout the Gospels. And the urgency for him isn't about preparing to die. The urgency is about finding life that matters whether we live or die. Now you may say, well, that's semantics. But I think there's a real difference there. It's not in saying life doesn't matter, so I guess we better be ready to die anytime. No, it says life matters. And we may not have much time left. And so we have to live in such a way that it really does matter, no matter when we die. So we're going to go back to the garden. This is the season of clearing away and making room for a good harvest in just a few months. And you could say in a, in a garden metaphor that this is a season for repentance, a turning around, right? A clearing away, a getting ready for what comes next. So I want to ask us these questions perhaps for us to just ponder as a part of our Lenten journey. This is the season, right, for introspection, for uh, reflection upon the state of our souls. What leftovers need to, be, need to be cleared away to make room for the new plants? You know, when my dad was answering that question, I just love that. Well, I just get my lawnmower in there and I just chop it all up, right? Whatever's left over, because it's no good at that point right? The only good it's going to be is as it nourishes the garden for the coming year. Well, there are seasons in life, friends, in our spiritual life, for sure, where we kind of need to get the lawnmower in there, and chop it up and get rid of some stuff. What is that in your life? What fertilizer could nourish our soil so that yields increase later? Now, I can promise you that my dad does not put the chickens in the garden in July. They're in their own pen. Because at that point, any good that the fertilizer does has already been done. Right? You fertilize first. And then the yield and the, and the harvest increases later. So we might be thinking about what fertilizer in this season could nourish the soil of our souls so that the yields will increase later. And finally, how do we choose the plants that will take up our space? My dad had quite a bit to tell me about tomatoes, and I, I cut that out just so that the, the film wouldn't be too long, but he has several varieties of tomatoes that he chooses, and if he picks one, kind of a new, new try, you know, that year, and it doesn't bear the kind of fruit he wants it to, then he doesn't go back and plant that same tomato plant again. 
And he also told me that it depends on uh, whether the tomato plants are available in the greenhouse or not because they don't have all the varieties. He said, Charlotte, they have over 300 varieties of tomatoes. Who knew, right? And I was like, wow, that's a lot. And so, well, how do you, how do you pick the, the right ones? He said, well, I, I go back with my favorites, right? Because those are the ones that, that bear fruit, so how do you choose the plants that are going to take up space in your garden, friends? So now, finally, we get to come to this stubborn fig tree, and it is a stubborn fig tree. Friends, is it wrong for an owner to expect fruitfulness from a tree? No. If you ask my dad, I don't know, dad, you know, that tomato vine is so beautiful. Maybe you should just let it, let it be there. Say, no, because a tomato vine better have tomatoes on it, right? A tree on your property with no fruit is of very little use to you. Furthermore, the owner has given the tree, and Jesus indicates, at least in, in this particular parable, some time to turn it around. Repentance, to turn it around, right? And so he offers the solution, cut it down. Now, if you're hearing this parable, maybe as Jesus tells it, that would come as no surprise to you, right? Of course, three years, come on, get rid of it. Make room for something that will bear fruit. The surprise then is in the gardener's response. Give me another year, right? Oh, hang on, come on, let me see what I can do. Let me, let me offer this some more nutrients. Let me put some fertilizer around it in the winter before the the season of growth, and let's just see what happens. Now remember, the urgency has been building for a whole chapter. And the urgency is to live a life that matters. You might say, to bear fruit. And it has to happen. It's important. It needs to happen immediately. And yet, the gardener is bold enough to stand up to the owner and go, what? Uh, uh, wait, just uh, uh, one more year. Just, just give me another year. That is grace. Amazing grace, as a matter of fact. So here we are, the second week of Lent. And I'm going to ask us, can we be honest now? I mean, that's the part I love about Lent. There are other things I don't love so much about Lent. But the part I do love about Lent is it's like permission as a community of faith that we can be honest with ourselves. And we can ask ourselves those hard questions. And so this is the question I want us to ask ourselves. Is the call of our faith too much? You know, sometimes we act as if it is. When, when we're asked to be forgiving, we say, did you see what they did to me? I don't know. Forgiving? You know, I might be able to ignore them and not wish harm for them. But forgiving? Really? That's a lot. What about the call of our faith to love our neighbors? It's a pandemic, have you noticed? You're supposed to stay away from each other. Distance, distance. Loving our neighbors? What about loving our enemies? <gasps> oh my, that is a, that's a tough Tough road to hoe, right? And what about the call of our faith to be generous? 
to not hold on. When we don't know what our financial reality is going to look like in the future, you know what we do? We hold on. We begin to, to clamp down, make sure we, we've got enough. But the call of our faith is, you know what? It's okay to be generous and to trust. So sometimes we probably do really just act as if the call of our faith is too much. And when we do that, friends, what we miss is there's a disconnect. Because we continue to receive nutrients from the soil. We continue to be blessed by the sun and the rain from above that allow us to grow bigger and stronger. And somehow we're okay with that happening for ourselves. Look, I'm growing bigger. I'm growing stronger. I love, I'm becoming a beautiful tree. And the owner comes along and says, it's not bearing any fruit. That's the purpose of the tree, to bear fruit. And so aren't we grateful for the gardener? The gardener who comes along and says, just give me, just, just one more year. Just give me another year. So that this tree might bear fruit. My prayer for us during the season of Lent is that this is going to be a season for us to clear the ground, to make room for what God is doing in us, to spread our fertilizer the best you can get. You know, let the chickens out there and then go in the chicken house and get the rest of it and spread it around because that's important. We want the soil to be nourished so that this year we will produce abundantly for God's kingdom. Amen? Amen.